Your state. Your team. Your show. This is Sports Nightly. Adrian goes under center this time. Mills, the deep back. Turn and toss it to Mills off the left side. He's to the 10. Step arms a man. Five dives. He is in. Touchdown, Nebraska. Diedrich Mills finds the end zone from 14 yards out. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Thank you. Welcome aboard. Glad you're with us here on a Wednesday night. And as we have for the last several Wednesdays, we start off the show with a conversation with the University of Nebraska President Ted Carter. Ted, appreciate you being with us again here tonight. I hope your week has, has been a good one to this point. It, it certainly has. Thank you, Greg. Good to be with you. Well, you teased this last Wednesday when you had us on, said you had a big announcement coming up later in the week. And boy, did you when you made the announcement on Friday unveiling the Nebraska Promise. It's a completely new program, a new way of looking at things. Lay out all this for folks who maybe heard part of it, didn't grasp it all. What is this all about? Well, this is really about making our, our University of Nebraska uh, education affordable and available for as many people as we thought we could. I mean, uh, we've had a program called College Brown Nebraska for a number of years that kind of went after the uh, uh, those that were at a financial uh, area that was for Pell Grant students. Uh, this was to take that to a, a little bit higher level, those that are at a, a household medium income level after uh, uh, filing taxes of $60,000. That's right about the median for Nebraska households. Uh, and it guarantees free tuition for in-state Nebraska students. Uh, it does not include things like uh, uh, books and uh, living in the dorm and uh, those types of things. But uh, we wanted to uh, create this program so that it was accessible for a lot more folks here in Nebraska. How did you how did you arrive at this plan? Is this something you've been mulling over for a while? Well, when I came here, I said I was going to be all about the students, and uh, and I really meant it. Uh, you know that in combination with uh, you know the COVID nineteen crisis that uh, you know certainly nobody saw coming at the turn of the year. Uh, so we were thinking about this from the time I got here, but that in conjunction with uh, what I know is going to be an economically challenging time for a lot of our Nebraskans, I thought it was the right time. It uh, gave a sense of uh, some predictability for those that are thinking about whether or not they can afford college going into the fall. Uh, so I thought it was the right time, and uh, the reaction has been uh, actually uh, incredible. Uh, we've seen a huge bump in uh, applications just even over the weekend. Well, and it should. You, I know you've estimated a thousand current and new students could be covered under this. What kind of impact do you think that's going to have eventually on our workforce and our economic growth down the road? Well, it's all tied together. I mean, this is a uh, you know a cohort of uh, future students that uh, I know are loyal to Nebraska uh, as Nebraskans. Uh, this is a very high percentage of those that get into these type of programs graduate. And uh, we want to see them uh, not only graduate, but be successful, find the right talent, the right fit to jobs here in Nebraska. Again, visiting with University of Nebraska President Ted Carter here on Sports Nightly on the Husker Sports Network. Shifting to another topic, you, you made an appearance last week with the governor when you announced that a Nebraska business response survey is going to be used to help us on our road to recovery. Let's let our audience in on about this survey and what the university's role in that's going to be. Yeah, so we, uh, we helped develop the survey through uh, our campuses in Omaha and Lincoln. 
uh, and a lot of really talented people out of the, uh, the College of Business, as well as our business, business Development Office up in Omaha, put this together for the governor. And what's really amazing about it is people fill it out. We get a, a real immediate sense of the uh, impact on our businesses, and we get it almost real time. So that information is already flowing in. And as the governor is thinking about, you know, what type of revenue impact uh, COVID-19 has, uh, this survey will help start to shape that. That's wonderful, because that's the next thing we're going to have to deal with as a state and as a country. We're going to have to do that as well. I know the university actually has a number of entities across its system that are engaged in economic development and business growth. Can you give us a couple of examples of things the university is already doing in those areas? Uh, Absolutely. Well, at the Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources, uh, certainly we have, uh, you know, our extension uh, faculty that are all over the state, they can help with the business development, certainly at the small and large size. Uh, and then we have other organizations that are there to help businesses, uh, and they can uh, uh, they can go onto our website and uh, sign on and just look at uh, you know our our one source, or excuse me, our net source uh, uh, web page and uh, start to get some help in uh, how they might develop their business in the wake of COVID nineteen. Ted, every week we're seeing stories, examples of, of university students and faculty that are stepping up to help our community, our state in this crisis. I'd like for you to give us some examples. I saw one thing that a, a faculty at Innovation Campus has been busy producing face shields for hospital workers. That's that's one example of that. Yeah, there are so many. Uh, we've got faculty uh, and students helping with making face shields, uh, masks. Uh, at the University of Nebraska at Omaha, we had students help develop an application to help track uh, through doing a screening process for COVID-19. Uh, it's absolutely remarkable how many of our faculty and staff are out there helping to try to uh, not just cope with this, but move us through uh, to the other side of this. Well, Ted, I, I just love this Nebraska Promise program. I'm not surprised at all that it has created a wave of excitement for the future of the university. It's you're, you're lending a hand to help somebody get up and giving people an opportunity. And a lot of times that's all somebody needs is just somebody to give them a helping hand. I'm sure probably in your past there was somebody that reached a hand down to help you up and get, get you on some kind of path. Yeah, you know, th- there's so many sports analogies to this type of thing. I mean, nobody's perfect. Uh, all of us make mistakes. Some of us, uh, you know, just dealt uh, some tough cards from where we come from or, or where we grew up. And uh, be able to get a chance to do something special, to have uh, access to a college education, uh, it can impact somebody and their family for the rest of their lives. I mean, the average uh, person that gets a college degree uh, earns somewhere between 750000 and a million dollars of extra money in their lifetime. So this is a this is a gift that's not just for uh, individuals. This is for our communities, our cities, and our entire state. Well, again, congratulations on, on this rollout. I think it's wonderful, and I'm sure you're probably already on to thinking of the next project that you can come up with to help help keep costs down for people. That because that's going to be a, a a major issue for all families across the state dealing with maybe a loss of an income or reduced income. So congratulations again on Nebraska Promise. Thank you, Greg. Yes, we'll have our challenges going forward. Uh, We're going to have our own economic challenges, but we're going to continue to look for ways to make uh, our college education affordable for everyone. Very good. Ted, thank you so much. We do appreciate you coming on each week and updating us on on all that's happening with the university. It's certainly on everybody's mind as we move through these uncharted waters. Thank you, Ted. Have a great week. All right. Thank you. Stay healthy.
Well, it's time for another edition of our Husker Huddle brought to you by Sap Brothers. Jeremiah Searles is going to sit down with Muhammad Berry, Sap Brothers, who say, welcome, be our guest. Here's Jeremiah. Hello, Jeremiah Searles here. This week on Husker Huddle, we are joined by Husker Blackshirt legend Mo Berry here. He led the team in tackles in 2019, team captain as well, and the heartbeat and the soul of that Husker defense. Mo, how are we doing today? I'm doing well, man. Um, just got a session in, got some good work uh, this morning, and um, feeling great. That's awesome. I wanted to catch up with you, Mo, because your unique story, you've been through, I think, two head coaches, three defensive coordinators, two or three, I can't remember, and then also you've been through two different strength staffs. And I don't think people really understand how hard that is to do as a college player. I was lucky enough, I was with one my entire way through, and that was hard enough. Now that you're mm -hmm. out of the Huskers now for about five months, have you had a chance to look back, reflect on your career here and kind of what it meant to you and some of the challenges that you went through? I know this is kind of a loaded question, but it's a <laughs> yeah. lot. It's a lot that happened. You went through a lot yeah. of the Huskers. I'm just I'm just curious if you've had a chance to reflect on that and kind of what your overall thoughts on your career as a Husker were. Yeah, um, that's a fantastic question, by the way. Um, oh, thank you. Uh, I would say <laughs> I would say. Uh, it has been some, you know, while I was training at, in Arizona at Exos, um, you know, I had a lot of time to myself, you know, I was apart a from my girl, uh, a lot of my friends, um, and I was just over there, you know, apartment by myself training. So I, I had a lot of reflection time. Um, and like you said, I, I, I had the time to reflect on my career and all the um, adversity I faced, all the things that happened, all the good things everything I love about the university, everything maybe I wish I could change. Um, it was time for me to actually put that together because, you know, I remember after Iowa game, I was just, I was uh, defeated in a way because I just, in in every way, you know, you start off the season with all this off-season hype and uh, everything looks great. You know, you have a great quarterback that you truly believe in, I still do believe in. Um, you have the defense. You used to have so many guys you know from every level on your defense that can ball, and you know, you know, this year is going to be a good year for y'all. Um, you know, you have all the pieces. You know, it's year two in coaching, and you like, oh yeah, year two is always is some difference going to be mm -hmm. better. I mean, to have that, you know, expectation, and and it was, it was not. It was not hype. It was something that, you know, a lot of, many of the guys believed what happened. It was, it was about to be a great year, and you could feel it. And it just, a lot of things didn't go in, in that way. But, uh, you know, elaborate, you just go um, with that question you asked about just uh, how, you know, hard it was to go from, you know, Mark to Duvall, Strings Bath to Coach Riley to Coach Frost. Coach Banker to Coach Diaco to <laughs> Coach, you know what I mean, uh, in defensive Coach Shenander. So, I mean, it's just people got to understand it's way different philosophies in, in how every a head coach and the strength coach work together to create the athlete, how they want the athlete to look, how, what kind, you know, like, for instance, you have a coach that like their middle linebackers bigger and more stout and more, uh, physical, and then you have another one that, like I said, more uh, fast, agile, um, and better in coverage or something like that. It's, it's different type of systems 
there's different type of ways that the the coaches want their athletes to look like, to um, act like, to train like. It's it's just hold. It's like a different world. So it's it's not like it's like you working for a, a different company, and they want you to do different things. So that's basically the same. It's like you have a new boss. Everything is changing, and the thing about that is. Um, just imagine if you're an intern, you know, in, in college, you're, this is your internship, you know, this, this is where you are, you're, you're, you're learning the game still, you're developing in your profession, and you're learning a lot of things, and imagine if, you know, you have to, you know, I know there's many internships that people do, but just imagine if it's just changing all the time, and the book is changing, the book, the, what, the, the things you're learning about your profession profession is changing all the time and you're a young person so that's that's why I was if, if anyone want to know how that feels really it's just like that there's no it's not something that you know I give anyone excuse of it's not I never felt bad for myself I just always like okay you want me to be like this um okay we got I gotta transform myself in that way and that's why I had to do um that's how that's why I told my teammates uh, just whatever they want us to do, we have to transform so we could fit that mold so we could get better and be a team uh, sooner than later. Mo, you were able to have success in almost every scheme. I mean, 3-4, 4-3, back to a 3-4, kind of an under look. Like, you were able to have success in all of those, and I think that that's going to really translate well to your NFL career. But what did you do personally that allowed those things? Like, what was something that you did that maybe other guys didn't do that allowed you to have it? Didn't matter what scheme, didn't matter what internship, what book was put in front of you. You were able to mm -hmm. have success. Why was that? Uh, I think first is, um, you know, it's, it's the fundamentals of the game. And uh, I think it's um, certain things that, if you don't have, it don't matter what scheme you're in, uh, you you won't succeed. And I would say, you know, just first working hard, harder and working smarter than anyone else. You know, um, it's it's really just finding what what is that Mo Berry in 2019 in August? What should he look like? What is he right now? What is he right now? What is he right now and what he should look like come August, come September the 1st, the first game in Memorial Stadium. And having a plan to achieve uh, that that perfect mo or that that um, that goal mo or what to say. Um, I think that's the most, I think that's the best thing I do. I think I always understand that I'm not the best. I'm, I'm not my best self right now. And that I could get better, and whatever my coaches ask me to do, whatever, uh, in any way, I I develop a plan and I follow it, and I want to transform myself. I want to feel transformed when it comes to September, and that's by working hard, dieting, is by um, you know being in the film room, asking questions, annoying questions to the coaches, um, stuff like that. So you could, when you step on that field, no matter what scheme it is is you understand the game and it's like almost you're looking at your key and then as soon as that key move you're like like it's like an explosion that's how it feels it's just like a whole explosion downhill and then next thing you know you're on the backfield 
everything is quiet and then you make the play and then you hear the crowd and it's the best feeling ever. Mo, so I, I think is I, I know you I haven't just, started your NFL career yet, man, but I, I, I want to let you know, being a guy that's been there for a while, that's the right mindset to have. Though the struggles that you went through with the coach that changed everything is going to prepare you for that NFL journey. And I'm really excited for you. Before we jump into your NFL road and before we jump into what you've been up to these last few months, got to get a little bit of a talk on Husker football here. No spring ball for this team right now, which is going to be really tough for them. But that is a young linebacking core coming back next year. There's some young guys there that are going to have to step up. Who are some guys next year that maybe aren't, I mean, everyone knows Will Honus, everyone knows Colin Miller, but who are some of those up-and-comer guys that because the spring did get canceled, they're really going to have time to show during fall camp. Who are some guys to keep an eye on this year for that black shirt linebacking core? You know, uh, like you said, they got Will Honus, they got Colin Miller, and they're going to do right by that group. Um, you know, it's I've never. It's not a lot of times I've been surprised by, by players because I always have like a – I always uh, judge. I'm, I'm big in judging the new guys. I'm like, okay, he's going to be this. He's mm-hmm. going to be that. Um, Luke Reimer, to me, was interesting. Uh, that's the first person um, that I, I would, could say I was kind of wrong about, you know. Um, you know, for me, one, one thing that um, stood out for, for me is he works on his own. Like, he didn't need to come to me to get the word. I didn't need to go to him to motivate him. Mm. I'm going into Hawks and he's working, you know? And um, he's a guy that showed a lot of potential. Uh, Maryland game, um, we put our young guys out there. He made some good plays. Um, And the person that I I know is going to ball as a young guy is uh, Nick Henry. And I say that because how he ate up or how he just soaked in the knowledge of the playbook coming in and, um, in uh, his red shirt, uh, what they call that, uh, early enrollee, mm-hmm. how he just ate up, just soaked in the playbook. Was for me was surprising. the the last The last person I've seen do that was uh, Dedrick Young, and um, he just soaked it in, and it was easy for him. It was something that uh, really, you know, I could have seen him playing that year if he didn't get injured. Definitely, he could have helped us that year if he didn't get injured. So. I'll say them too, um, you know, I, and I said to many um, reporters about uh, Garrett, um, Garrett Snodgrass being a guy like uh, Weber, Chris Weber, who mm-hmm. could come in there, uh, develop and and contribute someday. Um, it's, it's a lot more depth in that linebacker than we know. Um, there's some guys that I didn't, I didn't see the Juco guy yet. Or is it two Juco guys? Or I think so, um, yes. I didn't. I didn't see them. And right, uh, that's where and so that's where I not think, having a spring is really going to hurt. And that's what I'm saying. And that's people don't understand. Uh, you need that spring. Even going from JUCO to to uh, you know NCAA, you know D1, D1 ball. So I would say that it it has hurt us. But um, since we got those key starters in line. Um, I think is that's big. That's big. So if we didn't have people with a lot of experience, Colin and and um, will have they have a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really worried about that inside no. linebacker group. The other guy is gonna come along. They are gonna buy them time to come along, and uh, it's gonna put less pressure on the coaches on that way. You know, Coach Rude, him knowing he got two guys that played a lot of football for him. 
Um, I just think in the D line, when you look there, is where you need more, you know, more um, experience, and you need depth on a different level. I, I love how the DB core is looking. Uh, they're talented as ever. Um, this is out of Q is going to be a real good DB in the future. He got real good hips, fluent, long. Um, we already know about Cam and uh, Deontay. We really missed out on Deontay mm. last year, man. Yeah, I'm I can't. For him. When I tell y'all that having him would have been such a big boost for us, uh, he's just a different type of player. He has a different uh, element to our, our defense. And and I knew that. He made plays that, you know, we just like, oh, you know, what DB, he's, he's a hawk, a ball hawk. And, mm-hmm. and having him, oh, man, it would have been great. Big hitter, ball hawk. Uh, I'm excited to see what he's going to do. But uh, for the inside linebackers, I think having experience established, the uh, starters basically established, is going to help. You know, buy time for the younger guys. I think the JUCO with two JUCO guys, Nick, and um, having um, the other kids uh, is, is going to help that group. Absolutely. Let's switch gears on us, Mo. Here, let's go. Let's talk NFL for you. You went down to Exos, trained down there, came back in great shape, had a pro day, had some. I mean, your pro day went, I think, pretty well. Um, what, how do you think you did on your pro day, and what are you going for these next steps now with the university being closed down? You still got to work yeah. out. You got to be ready to go at a moment's notice. You don't know when the draft's going to be. You don't know any of this is going to go on. But kind of walk us through your process of when you came back for pro day to what you're doing now with, I mean, the gyms everywhere being closed down. Yeah. Uh, pro day for me, uh, at first I didn't think it was the best. Um, but I uh, got the numbers, got the feedback back from the, uh, the scouts. Um, I know I had an interview with some of the reporters before, and I was downing on myself because that's just the guy I am. If I if I felt like it wasn't good or um, some of the the feedback, I'm not gonna like lie to myself and say, "Oh yeah, it was a good pro day when it wasn't." But um, you know, 21 in bench, uh, 10 to 1 broad, which is high numbers in my uh, position. 32 vert. Um, the times I got back from the 40 yard dash wasn't a 4.9, it was a 4.7. <laughs> and that's where, when I heard that, I was like, come on. Because I didn't run run that one time, that training. So um, just, just getting that, and the biggest thing for me was uh, my position drills. That was a question mark for those scouts. They didn't see a lot of tape uh, me really pedaling, turning, flipping my hips and a lot of stuff like that. Um, you know, met with New England, met with um, some Bills guys and stuff like that. Your, your people. Oh, yeah, Bills mafia, uh, baby. But, <laughs> but, you know, the biggest question for them was my hips, you know, in L.A., of course. Uh, but I felt like that's when I, I killed that part. That's where I felt the most confident and made me come out a pro day like, yeah, I, I did something real good. Um, you know, just all the position drills, like I said, flipping my hips, pass rushing, things like that. Had a great reviews from all of the uh, all of the scouts there, and I did my part in that. So after that is now, you know, I'm happy that's over the numbers. Uh, and don't get it twisted, y'all. I mean, it goes back to your tape. That's that's, that's what matters. They they they. Uh, Regardless if I ran, uh, you know, I didn't think 4-7 was a good time at all. 
Um, but I, I don't play football in a three-point stance. I don't go through three phases of running when I run on that football field. It's only one phase, and that's run fast and attack the ball carrier. So that's what they're looking, and that wasn't a question for me. So um, I think that's important. But right now, like you said, with all this happening, not having you know access to the stadium and stuff like that, I've been blessed. I can't tell you where I'm training because uh, maybe that's going to get shut down. But, <laughs> but uh, just know I'm finding work and I'm training and I'm getting ready. And, you know, it's a bad it's a bad time for a lot of people. And, you know, uh, I just feel for the people that, you know, work, you know, living off check by check and stuff like that. And, and my prayers go for them. Um, and I hope that, you know, we can help the you know the government can help them and i'm not going to say i could help them because i can't but i just pray the best for them because i know a lot of people close to me that's going through that so so right now it's just like i said just focus on my craft focusing on my jobs my run fits stuff like that i'm just trying to be ahead of the curve when i come whatever team i land i want i want the coach to be impressed about what kind of athlete, what kind of guy they they are getting in their program, and and that's what I want. So just staying ahead of the court, the curve, and making sure that I'm the most conditioned. When this, when this, um, when this rookie mini camp, when I'm, I want to be sideline to sideline. I, I want to be asking for more, and that's what I, that's what I'm training for right now. Absolutely. Well, Mo, we are excited to follow you, especially being a Husker great that you were. We know that you're going to have continued success as you move forward in the NFL. We thank you for taking the time here on Husker Huddle to join me. And uh, we'll be looking forward in the future, and we'll catch up soon, my friend. It's time for Famous Dave's Faceoff. Famous Dave's, America's favorite barbecue, offers award-winning, mouth-watering, house-smoked barbecue for pickup, curbside, or delivery. Order three ways, online at FamousDave's.com, through the Famous Dave's app, or call your nearest location in Lincoln, Omaha, or Bellevue. Famous Dave's, locally and veteran-owned. Let's go. Mano a mano. You, me, right here, right now. Now, here are your hosts, Josh Hilkeman and Brett Whitty. Here we are again. I can't believe this is week five already of the face-off. <laughs> you guys are well into it. So far, Greg has proven to be a little bit better than Ben at the at this trivia, but not, not by much. It's been a lot of close games so far. Three to one so far through the first four weeks. Hopefully this week goes better than last week. Yeah, yes. last week was What rough. do you think, what do you think, Brett? Is he going to have better results? It can't get worse, can it? So, well, I mean, that's statistically true. It was a shutout last week by Greg. So, that w- the first couple weeks, I think we were teased a little bit about how how close things were going to be. A couple of uh, games that went to seven points, right down to the wire. So, yeah, that's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that one goes. All right, <laughs> let's uh, let's jump right in to question number one. And I will say before we get started, actually. These questions are a little bit more difficult because we had three that we didn't use last week that were questions five, six, and seven. So we moved those up to uh, questions two, three, and four. So just just so you know, those are going to be a little bit more difficult. But we start with Husker Volleyball here with question one. Name the top four kill leaders for Nebraska Volleyball in the 2019 season. Ben. All right, Ben, go for it. 
Lexi's son. Is Lexi's son up there? She sure is. That is correct. That's one for you. You got one of the four. Uh, so three more pass or play? Yep. I will play it. All right. Go for it. Uh, Jazz Sweet. Is Jazz Sweet on the board? She sure is. You've got the okay. top two right now. You, Lexi was uh, the leader for the Huskers last season with 425 kills. Sweet second with 327. Lauren Stiverens. Show me Lauren Stiverens. Oh, yeah. Got it. One to go. Uh, Maddie Kubik. How about Maddie Kubik? Good work, Ben. You're not getting shut out this week. I like it. All right. He's on the board, Brett. I, board. I'm impressed. That was that was a that was a clean round too. I like it. Clean. Yeah. No oh, strikes. No strikes. Yeah. All right. Uh, question number two here. What teams has Bill Belichick coached? Ben. <laughs> All right. All right. Ben. ben going forward again. How many? All those say Patriots. <laughs> All right. Do we have the Patriots? <laughs> ah, I wasn't sure on that one. So how two many more. are there? There's there two are more. three total. Yeah, three total. two more. Uh, are you going to play? I'm going to I'm gonna pass this one. Oh, Whoa. All right. Greg. Greg, what do you know now about Belichick? It's not a head coaching job, right? It's just which it's, teams no, he's been is, a part of. It is right? head coaching. Oh. Head coaching jobs. He's had three head coaching jobs. One of them, the Patriots, has been astutely stated. <laughs> Just, how, about the, uh, how about the Cleveland Browns? Do we have the Cleveland Browns? Sure do. There you go. You just have one, one left, more. Greg. Can you get it? You have three strikes to, to do so. We're talking NFL, right? Yes. J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. <laughs> Show me the Jets. Teddy Greenstein's Jets is right. Ooh. I would have come up with Jets, but I wouldn't have got Browns. There you go. All right. Very good. So now we're tied at one as we go to question number three, and we stick with the NFL but throw in a little Husker flavor here. Name the six Husker football players in program history who were selected number one or number two overall in the NFL draft. Six. Ooh, ben. All right, Ben, you're going first. Ooh, wow. Sue. How about Ndamukong Sue? Yes, he was the most recent. He was selected number two overall in 2010. Are you going to pass or play? You got five uh, left on this one. That's a lot. That um, is a lot. This is a test of your character, Ben. It is. <laughs> I'm going to... Oh, man. I'm going to play it. Okay. Okay. Picked first or second? Picked number one or number two overall wow, in the NFL okay. draft. And there are six of them. There are six. And yeah. Roger Craig. How about Roger Craig? Mm. That is one strike. Irving Fryer. Show me Irving Fryer. Good guess. Wow. That's solid. He was number one overall in 1984. That's crazy. <sighs> Grant Wistrom. How about Grant Wistrom? Oh. Two strikes. 
Wow, I thought that was a good one. Yeah, this is a tough category. Again, this was, this one was would have been way later in. <laughs> yeah, this is really hard. So are we talking like drafted into the National Football League? Into the National Football League. <laughs> at Both some point. modern era. And I mean, there there's some that go a little ways back, further back than Fryer. There are two that were before Fryer, two that are, well, either the same or after. Okay. I'm just going to guess the next most obvious and say Johnny Rogers. How about Johnny Rogers? Three strikes. Yikes. So, Greg, you have four uh, four players that are up on the board right now. If you get one of them right with one guess, you get the steal. But it's not as easy as it sounds. Cause no, it doesn't. No, I tried to no, take no. away the most obvious ones. Yeah. I, I, I'm going. I'm going way back. I'm gonna. I'm gonna take a shot at Bobby Reynolds. Okay, show me Bobby Reynolds for the steal. Oh. No, that is incorrect. So the Not point okay. goes to Ben. Let's run through the ones that we missed. Yeah, I'm interested. Sam Francis, all the way back in 1937, oh. <laughs> was a number one overall pick, and that, that's actually the reason I came up with the topic. He was a number one overall pick. He was inducted into the. Nebraska Athletics Hall of Fame. We even talked about that. That's shame yeah. on us. Yep. Yeah. So he was the first one. Bob Brown in 1964 was number mm. two overall. Oh, I thought about him too. Yep. Yeah. Uh, then in the same year as Irving Fryer, Dean Steinkuhler was picked number two overall. So He was two overall, huh? Yeah. I knew he was a high, high, but I wouldn't have pegged him top two. And then this one was the one that I wouldn't have expected anybody to get. Uh, Neil Smith, number two overall in 1988. Yeah. He I was on my all-Husker team. Yeah. He was. I can't say I would have got that right, if even if I had time to think about it. But then you're playing wow. well. Tough you're up question. To, yeah, up, yeah, up two one. That one I did not expect. If, if you guys had run the category in that one, I would have been shocked. Oh. So I thought for sure Wistrom was, was one of them. Yeah, I really did. Yeah, Th that category was more so and just because I wanted to share with everybody what was going on not because i thought that you're going to get it so and yeah. johnny as well i mean i know yeah. I, right yeah there there's yeah. so he went, many he went a uh, 25th in the 73 draft wow yeah. and i i really hope that i didn't miss anybody i literally just scanned through all the husker football players drafted ever and and tried to find them so if i missed anybody that's on me but well we wouldn't have got it anyway yeah, so there you go Tough category. All right, uh, let's see if we can bounce back. Question number four here. Other than Peyton and Eli Manning, who were the five quarterbacks to defeat Tom Brady in the playoffs? And I'll give you a hint. Only one of the five did it more than once. Ben. All right, Ben, you're up first. Joe Flacco. Ooh. Show me Joe Flacco. All right, you got the one with two. You're going to pass or play? I'm going to. more. I'm going to play it. Ooh, okay. I like this. I feel like this is up your alley, Ben. So, yeah, this is... This is a this is a really... This is either going to be a really good guess or a really awful <laughs> guess, and this is going to be a meme. Mark Sanchez. <laughs> Show me Mark Sanchez. <laughs> that, that is impressive. Oh, was that really? the Bart... Wow. That was the Bart Scott game, right? Yeah, 2010. Yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> Poetic justice. Okay. Um, let me think. So, other than Peyton and Eli... To defeat Tom Brady in the playoffs? Yes. In the yeah. uh, in Nick the Foles. Nick Foles, is he on there? there is. Wow. 2017. Two one more. left? Two left. Two more. Two left. The, there's one that you should get and one that I'll be surprised if you get. <laughs> um, Ryan Tannehill. 
is Ryan Tannehill up there. Oh yeah. That, that's Holy moly. That is the one that you should get. And now you have you have three guesses here to Does get the ben last have one. Google I, don't, pulled up? I don't know if you're gonna get this one, Ben. This one is really tough. My hands are right here. Um <laughs> <laughs> to defeat Tom Brady in the playoffs. They lost that game. I don't think it was a Super Bowl. I think I got all the Super Bowl ones. Um, it sounds like it's an obscure name too. It's not necessarily obscure. Yeah. It's just it's uh, it's just hard to come up. Ben with. Roethlisberger. Okay, uh, is Ben Roethlisberger on there? No, that's one strike. That's just your first strike, Ben. I, even if you if you get three strikes, I am impressed with your knowledge to get the other four. No, Sanchez was a home run hit. The yeah, only one I re- that's the I just remember the Bart Scott can't yeah. wait. Yeah. Even even Nick Foles was a tough one to me. That was only a few years ago, but I I don't know if I would have thought of that one. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad I got Tannehill because that yeah. was a layup. Tannehill was a layup, and Flacco. If you think long enough back, you could probably come up with that just because he was around for a while. But I'm just trying to think of the teams that they lost to. Um, yeah, this one's hard. Who beat them in that? Was it? It wasn't Kurt Warner, was it? Are you, is that your guess? Show me Kurt Warner. Yeah, are you gonna <laughs> show me Kurt Warner? That's incorrect. Two strikes. Down to your last one. I can see Greg thinking. He's he's ready and waiting, but I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I'm trying to even come up with the team that beat him, let yeah. alone the quarterback. No, this one is tough. Oh, man, I don't know. Uh, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to throw one out. Um okay. Andrew Luck. How about Andrew Luck? Incorrect. Good guess, though. Greg, I think think Ben got all the Super Bowl losses, I think, with the Manning Manning and Foles. So it's going to be an AFC playoff game. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Oh, my God. I think I know who it is. I'm going to throw Phillip Rivers out there. Show me Phillip Rivers. That's incorrect. Let me guess. Yeah, let's, let's is it finish. Blake Bortles? It is not Blake no. Bortles. Oh, okay. Brett, give him the answer. Who was it? It was Jake Plummer in 05. Yeah, Denver. I got that. Yeah. The Bron- it, your guess, your, your Philip Rivers guess was kind of on that path. I was thinking it was somebody from the West. I thought, De- I think in Denver, but I knew Tebow didn't do it. Elway was already done. Yeah. It wasn't Bortles because it was the Steelers who they beat. I, right. I knew they upset right. somebody in the playoffs, and I, I for some reason, think it was a Patriots. Ben is rolling this He's week. rolling. Yeah, that three was 3-1. You can close it out. Close it out with question See, number five. See, that's the trivia. That, I know random stupid stuff like that. That's that's yeah. what we got to have <laughs> more of. That's, we'll, we'll try to mix it up, give you guys more both, both a chance no. at this. And I'm glad Mark Sanchez was on there because that would have looked idiotic had Mark Sanchez <laughs> not been on there. That would have been, yeah. Uh, all right, uh, question number five. Who were the – three Major League Baseball players to pitch perfect games in the 2012 season. And a hint, that's the last time a perfect game took place. Ben. All right, Ben. Mark Burley. Show me Mark Burley. Not on there. So, Greg, you get a chance now. Madison Bumgarner. Show me Madison Bumgarner. All right. (laughs) Just because we were talking about it the other day, Dallas Braden. 
Dallas Braden. Whoa. This may be one we never get any even one right. Well, ben, <laughs> needs to, ben needs to get one right on this. Otherwise, I'll be very disappointed in him. Yeah, that was a big hit right there. That was a very big um, hit. Well, I mean, yeah. Wait, there was one that ESPN just put out a tweet about this, I think. Right? Like today or my, yesterday? Let, my on guess. I'm, yeah. I'm going to go Roy Halladay. Is Roy Halladay up there? You guys, the, you guys are putting out some good guesses, but... Philip Humber. <laughs> Philip Humber, yeah. <laughs> I, that we uh, talked about on that on the SNBL broadcast yesterday because that was the oh, uh, yeah, eighth yeah. anniversary of the. Yeah, I was gonna say, e- and ESPN put a tweet about Philip Humber, yeah, or something. Eight years I have ago, yesterday. Never even How many left? Two, two left. And you're, I'm, you're I may playing. as well play it. Yeah, you're playing. Yeah, at, at this point, if you don't, yeah. strategy says play because Greg has to get one right. Yeah, <laughs> go for um, it. Felix Hernandez. How about Felix Hernandez? Wow, now you're on a roll. And the last one that came to mind, I don't think he ever got there, was Cliff Lee. Cliff Lee? One strike. So I guess Burley, he was wrong. I guess Braden, he was gone. He was wrong. 2012. So, Philip Humber pitched his perfect game April 21st of 2012. Felix Hernandez, who you got right, Ben, August 15th. The guy in the middle, June 13th, if that helps. That does, that does nothing for me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Great. Uh, oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Clayton Kershaw. How about Clayton Kershaw? Oh. Nope. One guess left. One guess left. I'm just going to guess somebody that I know pitched and pitched well in 2012. I'm going to say a guy like Chris Carpenter. Ooh, Chris Carpenter. Oh. Greg, chance to steal here. One guess. Yeah, I don't have it. I'll just throw out Zach Grinky. Ooh, Zach Grinky. That is incorrect. The answer, Matt Kane, the Giants. Oh, yeah. I do remember him throwing that. I wouldn't have come uh, up with the name, though. On June 13th. I do remember him throwing one now. I would not have wrestled that name up. I haven't thought about that name, Matt Kane, in a long time. All right, so, Ben, you responded well with a, a solid victory Blowout. there. Yeah, Blowout. four to one. Not a shutout like Greg did to you last week, but still impressive. Yeah, those were hard. Yeah, those were hard Those were hard. Again, that, yeah, I, I threw that out there at the beginning, the disclaimer. It was very difficult. Next week will be a little bit easier. I... We're going to save at least one of the two questions we have left. The one of them is a little bit timely. Question seven was a little bit timely, but we might we might keep it in there. So we'll see. All Feel right. good, good about today's effort. Yeah, good job, Ben. That's a bounce yeah, back. You should. That was good. Mark Sanchez was a great poll. It's impressive. Joining us now on our Woodhouse Auto Family Hotline for the first time in a while, our good friend Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network and NFL.com. Ian, first of all, it's been a long time, man, uh, obviously since all this stuff has been going on in our world. How are you and the family doing? Everybody doing okay? Uh, you know, we're doing pretty good. I would say uh, we're safe. We're, we're being extremely cautious. I probably haven't really left the house in, uh, you know, uh, I would say about a month, um, you know, aside from maybe some bike riding or basketball in the yard or something or in the driveway or something like that. So we're being extra cautious and, uh, and thank you. We're doing well. 
Yeah, good. Well, it's glad to hear a very scary part of the world that that you're in up there right now. Well, the, just because you're you're in isolation doesn't mean you're away from work. You've been on the axe, on the grind. This is a very busy time for you. Uh, just a day ahead of the draft. Let's just start first with your feeling heading into this one. Maybe, uh, you know, what what's different about this potential draft and what what's what we've seen in the past. Well, um, you know, obviously the actual draft, like the the art of drafting, will be something that. Uh, is a little different, you know. There'll be no no draft rooms. Every GM will be by himself. Every coach will be by himself. All those houses have been, you know, specifically wired to uh, to make sure the internet is great uh, and perfect and ready and and all of that. Um, you know, it's uh, it's there are some certainly some nerves and some stories and everything about just the technical part of it. The NFL, you know, basically assigned an IT worker to everyone who's going to have a camera in their house. Um, you know, I would say, uh, you know, I would say it's probably going to be fine. Um, and then, you know, the other part of it is the actual players. And, you know, I could see a draft where it's as with as many fireworks as we've ever seen trades, quarterbacks rising and falling, you know, the, the quarterback situations is something that is going to be so fun to track where they go, who trades up, who comes and gets a tackle, who trades up for a receiver, um, you know, just uh, just a lot of fun, and, and honestly, I can't wait for it. I, I can't either. Let's just start first with kind of what you started with, the logistics. Are, are most of the franchises good with how this thing's going to run? Are the logistics set up in a way to where the GMs, the coaches, the scouting personnel, is everybody kind of comfortable with this situation, or is it just we got to get comfortable with the uncomfortable? I think they're okay. You know, most of the GMs I've spoken with are, are fine. And I think, you know, part of the thing is, let's say there's a major technical issue. Well, all you'd really do is you just, you know, pick up the phone and say, this is who we're taking, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, there's a conference call where all the GMs are on it. They unmute and they say, hey, we're taking this guy. You know, everything else is sort of like, okay, and look, all of these GMs, even the old school dudes, they've all been on Zoom calls for a month. They all get it. They know how to do it. They're used to it. They all have, I'm sure, AirPods or speakers or what, you know, however they get their calls. I'm sure a month ago it seemed crazy, but now everyone's so well-versed in the technology, I really think it's going to be fine. How important is it, Ian, just for for fans, for the people that love sports so much to have something live other than a Michael Jordan documentary to talk about for a couple of weeks, just to have something new in the sports world that, that yeah. matters, that's real, that's that's somewhat normal? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, um, you know, obviously the, people are dying. Of, I mean, you know, unfortunately actually dying, but what I'm saying is like people are dying of – for sports. They're dying for something, for some action. You know, there's like, you know, for the gamblers, there's unprecedented need for gambling. Um, so there's like action on the draft, which I guess is a thing, but not my thing, but you know, it's, I, I think any semblance of sports to remind people what's normal in a world where nothing has been normal is a very, very, very good thing. And um, I'm kind of feeling that way too, honestly. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I've been consumed by it, but I'm excited about that part of it. And I'm sure the ratings are going to be great. I'm sure everyone's going to be, you know, hanging on every word. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to kind of soaking that all up. Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network and NFL.com with us here on Sports Nightly. I'm Ben McLaughlin. All right, Ian, it's pretty, pretty well thought that Joe Burrow is going to go one to Cincinnati. We've, we've thought that for a while. You tweeted out yesterday that, 
even though Washington may not want suitors, they've got suitors for number two. The Lions at number three is interesting. What do you see potentially happening with picks two, three, four, and five? Any movement potentially, or you think everyone's going to end up sticking with what they have? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, it's pretty clear that, that Joe Burrow is going number one. I think everybody knows that. Um, you know, after that, I mean, I know the Redskins have had calls. I mean, they've had discussions and, and teams, you know, pe- potentially saying, hey, well, you know, what would be the price of coming up to two? All of that's true. I think the Redskins end up sticking and taking Chase Young, the generational pass rusher from Ohio State. Um, you know, and then at three, it gets really interesting. Do the Lions trade out? Do the Dolphins come up and take a quarterback? Do they come up and take a tackle? Um, you know, all of those things are, um, you know, definitely in the sort of realm of possibility. And then, you know, if the Dolphins take a tackle, then maybe they try to get their quarterback later because I think – Jordan Love is going to be there in the middle of the first round, something that's, you know, definitely possible. Um, and then, you know, you have the Giants probably taking a tackle, maybe Tristan Wirfs from Iowa there. Um, and then you have, you know, let's say there's a trade. You have Detroit. You know, I think they'll take the best defensive player they can. You know, Derek Brown from Auburn would be a really good selection. And Jeff Akudin and um, TJ Henderson from Florida would be the two top corners there. So those are sort of the – um, the possibilities there in the first five picks. Ian, when you look at the the top-end talent of this draft and what it would take for a team like Miami to move from five to three, do you have any idea what else would be required to move up just two or three spots? I mean, are we talking future first-rounder? Are we talking mid-round picks? How expensive would those two or three spots be to move up? You know, that's a great question because we've had years. I remember, like, you know, it was like six or seven years ago, the Raiders traded – from three to 12 and all they got was a second rounder seemed crazy at the time, but that's just what the price was. You know, when the, the Redskins moved up for RG three, all they did was go from six to two and it cost them multiple first rounders. So it's really anything in between my senses would probably take, you know, a second round pick or an equivalent value to get from five to three. But, you know, if you believe you're taking your, Franchise left tackle after trading Laramie Tunsil, that's probably worth it. You know, just to make sure that no one else, just to make sure that no one else takes him. Um, you know, that, that's that's kind of the problem here is you know gauging a price. It's really just what will someone else do, and that's where it gets really interesting. I'm you, you mentioned the quarterbacks, and I'm really interested in this class. I think it's because just of the versatility, the, the difference of, of all of these guys, they all bring something different to the table. Burrow is probably the consensus number one. I don't know that many people can argue that. But how much drop-off is there from a guy like Burrow to Herbert to Tua, now Jordan Love's getting? I mean, is there drop-off on each one, or is it – you know, pretty comparable in terms of, of projection, talent, ceiling, all that stuff. I would say, um, you know, to me, you have Joe Burrow is the clear number one. I haven't talked to anyone who has any other quarterback number one, which, you know, that is extremely rare. That literally never happens. So that's, you know, that would be one thing. Um, then I would say it's really split on is it Tua or is it Herbert? You know, I think without the injury, it would definitely be Tua. The injury leads to some concerns, leads to some teams, you know, kind of wondering, like, what does, you know, what's the future? Not next year, because I think it'll be okay now, but, you know, in four years, what's it going to be? 
And then with Herbert, you know, he definitely left some plays out there. Everybody loves the athleticism, the, you know, tools. Just you wanted a little more. Uh, and then there's separation. Then I think there's Jordan Love. And, you know, some people think he goes in the first round. Some people, uh, you know, think that he goes in the second round. And, and if Jordan Love is out there, that's it's going to get really interesting. So, um, you know, I would say, um, you know, that's it's – where the quarterbacks go is the most intriguing thing about this entire draft. Ian, when was the last time you saw a receiver class this loaded with projected first-round picks and guys that could just be franchise players? Um, I don't know if I've ever seen a receiver class like this, honestly. Um, you know, I would say to me um, – it you know and there's not like there you know there's no Julio in this class there's no uh, you know Odell Beckham in this class at least doesn't seem that way but from like the you know mid first rounds it basically like the way it was described to me was there are players this year who will go in the fourth round that are usually second rounders that's how deep it was hmm. and that's how deep it is and that's why it's really interesting but you know in the end does it does it push players who, you know, does it push the receivers out of the first round because everyone thinks you can get one later? You know, I think that's certainly a, uh, a very interesting question. No doubt. All right, Ian, before we cut you loose, let's let's ask you a non-draft question about what's going on in Tampa. Tom Brady, Dominican Sue, and now, now Rob Gronkowski. Is there anything left in the tank with these guys? And, and I mean, the Patriots were able to swindle, you know, a draft pick out of it. How real is this going to become in Tampa that these guys are, you know, I, wouldn't, I guess a fraction of what we've seen in, in New England, but that this thing's going to work? Yeah, I mean, and that's really my biggest question. You know, the Patriots trading Gronk, like, okay, he wasn't going to play for them. They got basically a free fourth round. They're like, okay, uh, it's it's good deal for the Patriots. You know, it's they weren't going to use him anyway, free pick. For the Bucks, you know, I'm curious because – when we last saw Gronk, he was a blocking tight end. And obviously, you know, he's gotten a little skinnier. He's gotten his body rest. He feels good. All that is true. Um, you know, it, it's just uh, what's really interesting is what kind of product will he put on the field? What is he going to be like? And I don't know the answer to that. But um, we're going to find out because, you know, Brady getting the band back together, it was predictable. And then when I found out um, – you know, and broke the story yesterday. It was still stunning to even be able to tweet that. Yeah, I, I just—it's hard to really believe that 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 it's here. But you know, they're going to be putting on Bucks jerseys next year, and we're all just going to have to deal with it and get used to it. Yep. Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network. Ian, we appreciate you spending some time with us on a very busy day. We'll let you get back to it. Uh, have fun at the cover in the draft, man. I know it's an exciting time for you. A lot of hard work culminates tomorrow. We wish you the best of luck. Thanks for jumping on with us. All right, all right man. Always good to talk to you. Take care. Final couple minutes of this hour on Sports Alley tomorrow night. Obviously, we'll be tracking the NFL draft, which will be well underway by this time tomorrow night. Also, we'll hear from Teddy Greenstein. Can't wait to get him on, Ben, and get his thoughts about episodes one and two of The Last Dance from Sunday night. Yeah, this would be a great time to be uh, to have a Zoom meeting with Teddy with maybe some cold adult beverages uh, with no microphones around and just talk to him about <laughs> about remembering that and living through that and, you know, covering that and uh, just, just, you know, getting his thoughts on, on everything because everybody has a different perspective. Uh, you know, everybody's interview, 
uh, is different. Every, you know, you, you hear the, the players talk, you hear uh, the, the owner talk, you hear the, the other front office talk, you hear Phil Jackson talk. Everybody's perspective is different of, of what's going on and, and how to perceive it. And, and I'm, I'm interested in Teddy's perspective, too, of what he thinks of Krause, what he thinks of Scotty, what he thinks of um, you know, MJ, all that stuff. It's, it's, it's going to be fun. He got into a little bit of that last week, but I'm going to drill down on the Kraus part because to me that was the biggest takeaway from mm-hmm. episodes one and two, how much of a villain they made Jerry Krause. And, and maybe that's the way everybody in Chicago feels like. That's what I can't wait to hear from him tomorrow night. Good yeah, I mean, proud. the fans too. Yeah, how do the fans perceive it? You know, what do the fans think of, you know, we, we get it here at Nebraska, perception versus reality too. Yeah. All right, we'll look forward to hearing that and following the draft tomorrow night here on Sports Nightly. Our Sports Nightly hotline brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. Good hour. Great hour for Ben as he whipped me tonight in the famous face-offs. Didn't even give me a chance to get off the deck (laughs) in that thing tonight. And really good to hear from me and Rappaport on the eve of the draft. Hope you enjoyed this hour. We have another hour. Sports Nightly coming up next.